great song, great truth from Philippians chapter 1. Let's pray together. Father, as we have been singing, we're grateful that you are faithful and that you leave no project unfinished, but that you complete and conclude what you begin. And that includes us, renewing our minds, transforming our lives, conforming us to the image of Jesus. And we look forward to that day that project is finally complete. And in the meantime, as we walk with you, we know that our part is to press on towards that goal. Our part is to hold true to what we have already attained and what you have already accomplished. And so as we meet here in this place around your word this morning, we pray that you would continue that work in us and that you would continue to motivate us to our part. Help us not to miss what you have for us today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever find yourself encouraged or excited by a message from God's Word, maybe on a Sunday morning or at a Bible study or something you're reading? You're pretty fired up and you're excited and you're encouraged and you're, you're looking around and then you start to think and your mind starts to sink a little bit and you start to wonder, is this even going to make a difference on Monday? Like, is this excitement going to outlast this afternoon? You ever look around on Sunday morning and say, why are we here? and where, where is this going with our lives? What, what difference does this make? Do you ever feel like maybe you're at some kind of a political rally or a union meeting or having that pep talk from the coach before you go out to face the champions and you think, this is sounding really good, but I don't know if it's going to help at all? That can happen, can't it? I believe it was Soren Kierkegaard who told the story of Duck Church. Have you ever heard that? He talked about the barnyard where all the ducks would gather on Sunday morning. They would come from the various corners of the farmyard and they'd, they'd waddle over across the farmyard into their little duck church and they'd waddle in and they'd waddle down the aisles and they'd waddle in and they'd find a spot in their duck pews. They would sing a few duck songs. And then after a while, the duck pastor would get up to the front and he'd open their duck Bible and he would begin to preach. And he would pour out his heart and the ducks would just join right in and they would egg him on and, and cheer him on and, and it was quite an exciting thing. And he would get up there and he would preach and he would say, ducks, ducks, look at yourselves. You're ducks. Amen, they'd quack. Your ducks, you, know, you don't have to waddle around in the mud and it, like, like the pigs that you see. You don't have to hang out in the mud like the pigs in the barnyard. Amen, they'd quack. We're ducks. Fantastic. You're not like the sheep that just have to walk around the ground and all that kind of thing. No, no, you, you are ducks. You're better than sheep. Amen, they'd quack. He'd say, ducks, what makes the difference is you have wings. Ducks as wings, we have wings, and as ducks with wings, we can fly. We can soar like the eagles. We can fly, ducks. We have wings. Amen, they'd quack. And then they'd close in prayer, and they'd all waddle home. You ever felt like that? We do not want that to be our experience, do we? No. The Philippian church in the first century did not want that to be their experience. 
They had heard from Paul. They had received this letter, and they were encouraged and excited and, and kind of heartened a little bit in the battle and with things that they were facing as they listened to Paul's letter being read to them. And you can imagine, as we saw last time in chapter 3, starting at verse 7, they hear Paul, their friend, their founder, their, their discipler, their mentor. They hear Paul, they heard Paul say this, whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him, not just about him, but that I may truly know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death and that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have yet made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining to forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. The Philippians hear that, and they hear Paul willing to count everything lost, willing to give up everything, sitting there in jail saying, it's okay, don't worry about me. None of that matters as long as I know Christ, as long as I gain Christ and I'm found in Him, as long as I know Him and what it means to really fellowship with Him and walk with Him and grow to be more like Him, as long as the gospel goes out, as long as I am continuing to press forward and live up to what I've already attained and what He's already done in my life, and as I press forward for that call that He's placed on my life, that's what this is all about. And the Philippians are hearing this and they're saying, yes, Paul, that's fantastic. Let's do that. They're looking at each other saying, us too, we're in. And then it gets kind of quiet and they start looking around and they say, but how? <laughs> this all sounds good. We want to do what you're calling us to do and what you, in fact, are doing, but how in the world do we do that? Well, Paul answered that question for them and for us. And our prayer is that God will speak to our hearts and guard our hearts this morning as we look into his word and see three things, three things that will help us to hold true to what we've attained, to what God has already done in our lives, and to press on as he calls us forward. Holding true and pressing on. The first of these things he's found in verse 17 of chapter 3 as he continues his letter as we work our way through it. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. He says, follow this example and set this example. Now you might say that sounds kind of egotistical for Paul to tell everybody to follow his example. Doesn't that just sound a little much? No, 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 not at all. In 1 Corinthians 11, what did he tell the Corinthian believers? Follow my example as what? As I follow Christ. 
Follow my example as I follow Christ. He has just said here in verse 12, I haven't already obtained all of this. I haven't made it. I haven't got it all together. I'm not at the end of the journey. But I continue to strain and press forward. Yes, there's stumbles along the way. But there are things that I need to put behind me and I need to put my head down and keep following Jesus one step at a time, one step at a time. And that is what I'm doing. I'm going to keep pressing on. I'm going to hold on to, hold true to what God has already accomplished in my life and I'm going for the next step and I'm just going to keep going. I might stumble, but I'm going to get up and I'm going to keep going, keep pressing on, keep straining forward. I'm not there yet, but I'm working at it. Come on. Follow that example and let's go, Paul says. He's also already talked to them about Timothy and the example Timothy was. Remember that? He talked to them about Epaphroditus and the example that Epaphroditus was to them. Remember? He said, look, you have these examples of of men that you know, you've served with, you've heard from, you've walked with, you've shared life with. Follow their example. Join with them. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to this example. Keep going forward. Younger people today and the generations coming up, listen, they need help and encouragement and even a kick and some urging occasionally to move forward and mature into the next stages of life. That's something our culture is not doing for this generation. We're trying to extend adolescence into our 30s. But at some point, we need to mature and move forward, don't we? We need to set aside the video games and embrace relational uh, responsibilities. Responsibilities at work and in church and in the community. We, we need to press forward and we need people that are going to help others to come alongside and mature into these roles and positions. But we can't stop there. As important as those things are, we need people who are going to come along and help those who are younger move forward and mature in their walk with God. To learn that we we stop basing life on our comforts and appetites and we start basing life on our true citizenship and our, our anticipation of the return of Jesus. And so Paul says what you need to do is you need to find these examples and follow them. Find people who say, I'm willing to count everything lost if it means I gain Christ. I only want to be found in Jesus in His righteousness and not my own. I want to know Jesus, whatever that takes. Whatever suffering's involved, whatever, whatever is called of me, I just want to know Christ. And I want to press forward. I want to be faithful and hold true to what God's already done in my life. And I want to press forward and take that next step. Find those people and follow their example. Find them and follow their example. But on top of that, As you grow, as you mature, and as you move forward, become one of those Ephesians 3.17 people. Become one of those people that follow that example, and now you're setting that example for others coming behind you. No, I haven't got it all figured out. No, I haven't got this thing nailed, but I am pressing forward. I am clinging to and holding true to what God's already done in my life, and I am pressing on to the next steps. I am moving forward to know Christ more. 
That's what I'm about. I haven't got it figured out, but I, I, that's where I'm going. And I'm following others who are doing the same, and I invite you to get in line and come along with us. Find and follow these examples and be this kind of example. That's what Paul's saying. It's not enough to have examples that are famous and, and far away. A lot of times we found that out again in Chicago this past few weeks. A lot of times that is just a show and a sham. Find those people in your life that you know and you've seen their walk. You've seen them. You've, you've sat in the room and studied the Word with them. You've prayed with them. You've watched their life over a period of time. Get together with them, follow their example, and move forward. Move forward. Paul says if you want to hold true to what God's already done in your life and you want to press on, find and follow these worthy examples. They're around you this morning. Find them. Follow them. And then be that example as well. He continues on, and he says, this is critical for us to understand. Critical for us to understand that it is very, very important whose example we follow. Why? Because we then need to avoid the enemies of the cross of Christ. He says, for many, many, for many, of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. He says many walk this way. They live as enemies of the cross of Christ. You have to be careful the examples you choose and you follow. Now, who are these who live and walk as enemies of the cross of Christ? He has already talked about, early in this chapter, he's already talked about the Judaizers, people that wanted to turn people into Jewish people instead of Jesus' people. But he is not, he's not talking about people out there when he talks about those who live as the enemies of the cross of Christ. He's talking about people who may very well have been sitting in the room listening to the letter being read at church in Philippi that Sunday morning. He's saying there are those on the inside. They have been with us. Maybe some are gone. But they are still even present with us, some of them. They are here with us and they talk a good game. They are professing Christians. They talk about following Jesus but their lives say anything but. They say they're committed to Jesus and they're following Jesus. They're one of his people, but their lives are no different than anybody else around them. They are the hypocrites at which unbelievers point. They're the ones who talk a good game, but they don't follow Jesus. That's who he's pointing to. People inside. And he says it's subtle. They don't just advertise that that's who they are or what they're all about. In 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13, he says, Such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. 
So it's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. He says it's subtle, but they're here. They're even in, on the inside of the church. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. You will recognize them by their fruit. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, there's that word again, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Paul's not making this up. Jesus warned us about it too. He said, we've got to be so careful because there are those who pretend to be followers of Christ who talk like it, but just because you're inside a church building does not mean you're inside the kingdom of Christ. And he says they're living as enemies of the cross of Christ. Look at how he describes them. Their end is what? Destruction. They are not true followers of Jesus. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They live for their appetites and pleasures. They live for and by their physical drives, desires, and demands for the here and now. Seriously? That's how you're going to live? If you were here this morning and it's uncomfortable because that's you, I've got to warn you, your dog and your cat live like that. They can figure out when to eat and drink and have sex and go to the washroom and have comfort and sleep. Your pets live like that. Their God is their belly. They are driven by and controlled by and live for nothing but just their appetites. Their glory is in their shame. What does Romans 1 say? Not only do they do things that they know are wrong in God's sight, evil in His sight, but they approve of those who do them. That's our culture. That's our world. But it's not supposed to be in here. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul warns the church in Corinth. He said, you as a church family are arrogantly boasting, proudly announcing how tolerant and gracious you are, because of the sin you're permitting in the life of your people. He said, there's a man among you and there is, there, is, there is immorality of such a nature that unbelievers would be disgusted by it and you're patting yourselves on the back because we're being so kind and welcoming to this person. He said, you should be mourning. This sin should be breaking your heart and you should be dealing with that and disciplining that. But instead, they glory in their shame. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame. With mindset on earthly things, they are not really interested in the spiritual and the eternal. That's who they are. 
They worship themselves, their wants, their desires, their rights without restraint. Do not miss the words that Paul intentionally used here. Enemies of the cross of Christ. Enemies of the cross of Christ. And he says, I say this with tears. He's not standing up laughing and talking about how much better he is than they. He's not enjoying being the one that was right. It's breaking his heart that people can be that close to the truth, that close to the gospel, and yet still live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Who can still talk like they're inside, but then go do their own thing. It's burdening him. It's breaking his heart. This is not something to shrug off or take lightly. We can't just say, oh, well, they love Jesus. They just don't take this as seriously as others do. No, you're either following Jesus or you're not, he says. They need Jesus before they talk about him. And so he gives us these words of caution, even as he did to the Romans. In Romans 16, I appeal to you, brothers, watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. People who are just playing a game, who, who say they're following Jesus but really aren't, they're in it for themselves and their lives are all just wrapped up in how do I feel good and it's all about me. They don't walk around with one of those old bumper stickers on. Remember those old bumper stickers? Don't follow me, I'm lost. <laughs> they don't have one of those. It would be helpful if they did, give everybody a t-shirt. <laughs> They're subtle. So watch, he says. That's why he tells us, if you're going to hold true to what God's already done in your life, and you're going to press on and take those next steps, you have to follow the right examples. You have to avoid the enemies of the cross. And they're not just out there, they're even within Christian circles. So whether it's here at Harrow Baptist, whether it's on your TV or your internet or the radio or the bookstore, whatever it is, you have to watch carefully and see what the true reality is before you follow their examples. Back before the colonialists imposed national borders on these two countries, the kings of Vietnam and Laos got together and they reached an agreement on how they would carry out taxation in the border regions where there were no, there were no lines drawn on a map. How were they going to sort out whose was who? So they figured this. This was their agreement. If you ate short rice, built your house on stilts, and decorated them with Indian-style serpents, you were Laotian. If, on the other hand, you ate long-grain rice, built your houses on the ground, and decorated your house with Chinese-style dragons, you were Vietnamese. What determined your citizenship was not where you were geographically, but the cultural values you demonstrated in your day-to-day -day living. That told people where you truly belonged. It's the same thing with the kingdom of God. It's the same thing with the kingdom of God. We are here now, sprinkled around our community. 
But the thing that will identify who is a follower of Christ and who is not is simple. Jesus said, watch for fruit. It's who is actually following Christ. If somebody says, I've been following Jesus for 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, but their life is still characterized by sin and self, they can talk all they want. But if there's no fruit, we got some serious questions to ask. And so that's what he's saying. You've got to be careful. He says there's three things for holding true and pressing on. Follow this example. Avoid enemies of the cross. And then he says now, instead of living that way, watch and wait for Jesus. Look at verse 20. But... That is a huge word. It's three little letters, but it's huge. It's a, it's a hinge that swings the whole thing in a whole new direction here. It's a contrast word. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Oh, our citizenship is in heaven. Now, citizenship would have been a, a concept that would have stood out in the minds of the people of Philippi. We won't go into all the Roman history here. But there was, you can look this up, there was a major battle there fought in Philippi. And the outcome of that battle changed forever the nature of the Roman world. The outcome of that battle changed the, the Roman Republic to the Roman Empire. Totally changed things. Philippi, after that battle and having been conquered and swallowed up and that kind of thing, Philippi became a Roman colony. And what that meant, it wasn't just an occupied ground, it was a Roman colony. And what that meant was it was like a little outpost of Rome. Its citizens were now Roman citizens. If you were a citizen of Philippi, you had the rights, freedoms, and privileges of Roman citizens. And so the, the citizens of Philippi took great pride in being Roman citizens. Don't look at me like that. I'm Roman. Don't treat us that way. You don't understand. We're citizens of Rome. We might be living over here in Greece, but we're citizens of Rome. And they took great pride in that, even in the church. And that was a warning. Your citizenship is not in Philippi or Rome, actually. If you're a follower of Jesus, your citizenship is in heaven. But it is also a great picture for us. The people in Philippi were living as though they were in Rome, even though they were far away in Philippi. That's what it's like to be a follower of Jesus. And have our citizenship in heaven. We're like a, a little colony of heaven here. Have you ever been to Toronto and gone to Little Italy? Or Chinatown? You go, wow, two blocks ago, like I could have sworn we were in Toronto. <laughs> Where are we now? I can't read the signs. I can't understand the people, the food, the smells, the sounds, the taste. Everything's just, it's like I'm in a different world. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> That's why they call it Little Italy or, or Chinatown or whatever the, it might be. It's like a little colony. That's 
That's what God's people need to be like. Followers of Jesus need to be a taste of heaven. Our citizenship is there. This is a, a colony of Christ followers. I just want to remind my heart and yours this morning. We are not Canadians who happen to also be Christians. We're not. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are a Christian who happens to be living in Canada for a little while. Big difference. Big difference. Where is our citizenship? Where is home? Where do we truly belong? He says we eagerly await a Savior from there. Now in some translations just use the word await in English. Others, NIV and others will say eagerly await. That's, that's really a, a, a more complete understanding of the word that's used there. We're awaiting a Savior from there, but we are eagerly awaiting. We are living in active anticipation of His return. What does that mean? Um, well, if you're living in active anticipation of your parents' return after they've been away for a week, well, you finally shower and do the dishes and vacuum and tidy things up, put things back where you think they belong, and you, you shine it up a little bit, don't you? You're getting ready for their return. If you're waiting for a, a special guest, a family member you haven't seen for a long time, same thing. You might get dressed up, you might decorate, you might shine things up, get their room ready, put some chocolates by the pillow, like whatever it's going to take, but you get, get it ready. It's active anticipation. You don't sit around and then when they get there say, oh, just wait out on the porch for a little while, we got some work to do in here. <laughs> That's not how that goes, is it? And it's the same, he says, as citizens of heaven, we eagerly await a Savior from there. We're not looking for the return of Jesus with some kind of passive indifference. Or, or some kind of a bored disinterest. This, this is our focus. And so we're ready. We're longing. We're looking forward to this. Romans chapter 8, verse 23 says, Not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We're waiting for His return. Hebrews chapter 9 says, Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are what? Eagerly waiting for Him. Eagerly waiting for Him. Our citizenship is in heaven, friends. And so we are looking for, eagerly anticipating and waiting for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ means we're ready, we're focused. We're not just waiting for that day of relief and final rescue, but we're looking for that, that being united with Him, finally being like Him. How do you know when someone in your family is eagerly awaiting something? How do you know? You, you can't get them to stop talking about it, right? Right? Okay, you're with me. Yeah. It's like when, when spring break's coming or summer vacation. Oh, I've got to write this paper. But spring break's coming. That's all they're doing is talking about spring break. Yeah, but get your paper written. Well, no, because spring break's coming. Right? That's all we're talking about. When you're eagerly anticipating something, that's the focus of our hearts and our lives. He says that we are eagerly awaiting the Savior, Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body, by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. When Jesus comes back, he's going to take this mess and he's going to make it like his glorious body. 
Some translations have translated that hour of this vile body. That's not, I don't think, an accurate depiction of what's going on here. I think lowly is a much better word. He's not talking there about the, the sinful body. He's talking about the state of our body, much as he is with, with Christ in Philippians 2, who humbled himself, took on the, the, the form of a servant by being found in human form, right? That's what he's talking about. And his glorious resurrected body, and he's going to take this thing, and he's going to turn it into something fantastic. Now, we look today at, at our bodies, and we judge our bodies, and we, we look at each other, and we compare, and all that kind of thing. And on days like this, I do not know how you people with hair handle the wind. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. Well, a couple of us were talking about that this morning. Ooh, this is a good hair day. I, no big deal. Right? We compare, and all that kind of thing, and we're so focused. And he says there are people who live with their God as their belly, their appetites. They're living to, to try and maintain and please and pleasure this. Really? When Jesus comes back, this, this lowly thing is gone. Why would I sink all my time, focus, and attention there when I've got so much more waiting? Ephesians tells us that the same power God used to raise Jesus from the dead is the same power He has to conform you to the image of Christ. Philippians now tells us that the same power that Jesus has to subject all things under His feet as King of kings and Lord of lords is the same power He has to transform this mess into a glorious body like His. That's what we're looking forward to. Amen? And so Paul has told the Philippians right from the beginning of this letter, whatever happens, whatever happens to me, whatever happens to you, whatever happens to us, whatever happens next, whatever doesn't happen, however this goes, remember, whatever, is, whatever good we receive, whatever cost we have to pay, whatever it takes, live a life worthy of the gospel. Live a life worthy of the gospel. Philippians 1.27. And we saw last time in chapter 3, verse 16. Hold true to what we've already attained. Hold true to what God has already done in your life as He's brought you along in spiritual growth. Hold on to that and then press forward. That's what He's called us to. He says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Chapter 4, verse 1. He's saying this is how you do it. This is how you live in such a way that you say, I count all things loss, that I might gain Christ and be found in Him, that I might pursue Him, that I might know Him, that I might press forward for the call of God in Christ. That's how you do it. By, by making sure you choose the right example to follow, that you avoid the enemies of the cross of Christ, and that you watch and wait for Jesus every day. That puts your heart in the right position to move forward in that direction. And he's going to give us next, as we get here back next week and we, we continue to, to look, he's going to give us some specifics on how that might look. But he's saying this is where this goes, this is the pattern we set. And in chapter 4, verse 1, this is the most affectionate language Paul uses in any of his letters. This one verse. My brothers, whom I love, whom I long for, my joy, my crown. Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Over and over in that one sentence, he's talking about how much he loves them. 
It makes you wonder if this was his favorite of all the little churches he knew. He loved these people. And he says, this is how you stand firm. Just do it. Do it. Take these steps. Take these steps. He shares his heart for them. He gives his plea to them. Set your heart and your eyes on Jesus as you walk forward, pressing on here, waiting for his return. Don't get distracted. Do not follow the wrong example. Don't live for here and now and self. Live for there and then and Jesus in the here and now. Find those who are walking this way and then join in with them. Do not listen to or follow the enemies of the cross of Christ wherever they may be found, out there or in here. That's what he says. My brothers and sisters, I'm going to conclude by just adjusting Adjusting and adding to a few lines by Kent Hughes as he talks about this passage. As we consider how to hold true to what God has already done in our lives and how to press on to what's next. As we consider these three steps we've been given today. May the body of Christ here, locally, known as Harrow Baptist Church, provide us with many Worthy examples to follow. May the lives of the enemies of the cross of Christ even here be cause for tears and alarm. May the wonders of your citizenship and the reality of your future dance in your soul every day. May you stand firm in your pursuit of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus as you live a life worthy of the gospel no matter what, as you press forward no matter what, as you hold true to what God has already accomplished in your life, and as we live here together as citizens of heaven, eagerly awaiting our Savior. That's how. That's what. Are we in? Citizens of heaven, eagerly awaiting our Savior. May that never be lost on us. May we never forget.